Peer pressure is any type of influence, positive or negative, that comes from a peer group and is often common in our teenage years. But do we really leave peer pressure behind after our teens? Welcome to Talk Truth, a McGregor podcast, where we dive into scripture, gain insight from community, and biblically answer life questions. Talk Truth will answer life questions submitted by our listeners every other week. If you have a question for Talk Truth, you could submit your questions on our website. I'm your host, Danielle Flood. Let's open the word, gather together, and talk some truth. joined by Ron and Nicole Cook, who I feel I almost grew up with here at McGregor, or maybe we're still growing up, who knows, um, through the college ministry. And God brought you back to serve here in Southwest Florida years ago. So that's really cool then, um, getting to raise our families together. So our question today is how do we overcome peer pressure? And while some people assume that might be only asked by a teenager, or maybe kids deal with this more in context, we're gonna talk about what peer pressure adults deal with on a daily basis. Does that sound right? Sounds good. Well, as we dive in, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we offer this conversation to you and pray that you would remind us of our identity and our worth in you. May you be our guide each and every day as we connect with others at school, work, and in the church. Thank you for calling us loved and adopted children of yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So both of you, thanks for taking this time to be here. But Nicole, this conversation started with a short chat on Main Street. Do you remember what we were talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So we had just talking about a conversation I had had with one of our our SALT kids in the children's ministry and how she was struggling in school to really to fit in. And she Mm -hmm. felt like she was being mistreated over the way that she had befriended someone that others didn't like. Mm -hmm. And so she was kind of feeling that pressure there. And and we just kind of talked, and I, I had shared with her the same thing that I had told with my own kids a million times, that if you are walking the Christian walk and you're fitting in, you're doing something wrong. Mm. And so there there tends to be, even within the church, this isolation of holiness that happens with our kids and even with adults. Um, looking at it now as my, my oldest is graduating and moving into the college ministry to think that the, the statistic is somewhere between 75 and 88% of youth, church youth will walk away from the Mm. church at 18. Um, That's like a staggering statistic. Mm -hmm. And and so much of that goes back to to what's happening and the pressures that they feel and their foundation of of what's actually going on Mm -hmm. and that that isolation that they often feel. Yeah. So those are teenage into adult years. Um, Let's talk about our youngest people. How does peer pressure influence our kids? Yeah, I think that I mean, we, we look at, at our earliest infants mm-hmm. when, as soon as our kids are born, we're, we're making faces and we're, mm-hmm. they're copying us and, and we see our own facial expressions in them. Imitation is just something that God created mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Um, and many of us have had children in the preschool ministry um, that, that go in and come out with a new learned behavior or, or at daycare or anything. It, it doesn't take long to see that mm-hmm. they, they mimic that. Right. For better and worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And so we just begin to see this this development as them from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, it, and as it grows older, it, it develops further into even deeper stuff. So it's, it's simple when they're little. Um, and then it becomes this, this influence of activities, mm-hmm. games, um, it's beyond ad, just attitudes. You, I remember with my, my middle schooler especially, like you would see this, um, this culture that develops. So it's no longer just peer pressure in like, oh, well, everybody's doing it or everybody's wearing it. But peer pressure unchecked becomes identity. Mm. And so now it's everybody's playing it. And if I don't, I no longer fit in. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with issues of holiness, maybe there's a video game that we're not allowing Mm -hmm. or a movie that we won't allow. This, that isolation of holiness kind of takes over and and you see that play out in their identity. Right. And that's a lonely place to be. I think that even as a you know a mom with kids and you're kind of busy, but you're trying to do the right things, some of the things that you could be involved in would maybe make you feel more connected. But you know that's maybe not the right choice, or you know. Sure, and one of the things to to look at with kids is the the way they kind of transition with imitation. Um, you know, the youngest kids they're going to start by imitating their parents, and then. You know, if they're in a, in a group with other kids, they're going to imitate those kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they get into kind of the tween years, mm-hmm. um, that's the point at which they start imitating what they see in pop culture. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, we're at a point in history where, where kids of that age have exposure to so many different options yeah. that they have, they have this tremendous diversity of, well, this is what's popular and this is popular and this is popular. And so it's, it's a matter of them identifying, all right, what, where's the group that I'm going to imitate mm. that I'm going to fit in with? And as they start kind of picking and choosing a bit, that's going to rule out some of the other groups that they could be imitating. And that, that's an especially important concept to understand when it comes to holiness and what we expect of our kids is the more options they're exposed to. I know we talk about not wanting to shelter our kids and things like that. Right. But the problem is their brains are not yet developed enough to sort some of those things out mm-hmm. on their own. And so they need their parents to kind of limit the scope a bit of how many options do they have to imitate. Uh, and are most of those options relatively okay to the parents? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if not, it seems like kids have this natural tendency to gravitate towards the one you don't want them to. Of course. No, that's, it is challenging to, to look at those and to try to say, in our family, we're not going to make choices like other families. Let's just set that expectation. And it does feel a little limiting or sheltering. But then as they make those choices, we can talk about why those choices. And hopefully it helps them to make better choices in the future. Ron, what do you see in your work about the effects of peer pressure on our emotional health? So let me, let me kind of broaden the term first. So, you know, the, the term peer pressure has this inherently negative connotation to it. Mm. So I'd, I'd kind of like to broaden that. And let's talk about influence and, and receiving influence from others in the world mm-hmm. in general. So people are always receiving influence. That can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. So particularly in, in my work, I'm dealing with um, a lot of the after effects of negative influence. Okay. You know, maybe people are looking back on their life and saying, I've made these choices, I've made these these mistakes, and someone else had a voice in that, had an input in that, or I was mm-hmm. trying to be something other than what God intended me to be, and so now I'm dealing with the repercussions of that. So we do see a lot of that. But one of the things that, that I'm seeing especially prominently more recently is that people are overwhelmed 
with, you know, just like we were talking a minute ago about tweens imitating pop culture. Well, now adults are doing the same thing. And so it's a matter of everywhere I look, I see things that I don't fit in with, mm-hmm. you know, and, and social media, we, we blast social media all the time, obviously. It's, it's Easy. hanging fruit. Right. But social media does kind of give us this image of everyone else's A game. Mm-hmm. And so if everywhere I look, I see all of these standards and I'm not measuring up, well, that's going to bring some, some negative feelings about myself in general, not because anybody told me directly but because I've perceived that I'm not measuring up. Right. And so when that starts to happen, some of the, the problems that we start to see um, are things like overthinking, you know, or obsessive thinking where people just begin ruminating about things and I'm not this and I'm not that and, you know, I ought to be doing this. And it's kind of paralyzing. Mm-hmm. And in the same sense, um, people will become avoidant. You know, where, well, I'm not measuring up anywhere. And so instead of going out and being exposed to situations where I don't measure up, I'm just going to hide. Yeah. You know, so all I want to do is, you know, hide under a blanket in my bed and, you know, just nobody see me, nobody know me. And it feels like now I'm not taking a risk, but that's a very detrimental behavior that a lot of people are engaging in. Mm. Um, And then certainly you get into unhealthy behaviors too, just like we don't want our teens to cave into peer pressure and start drinking or using drugs or Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, Adults do the same thing. And some of it is more subtle than you might think about because adults, uh, probably one of the areas I see clients deal with this the most is in the area of overspending. Mm. Um, And, you know, we all talk about keeping up with the Joneses and things like that, but often it's more subtle than that. It's, you know, my friends are going out to dinner, we can't afford it, but I'm going to feel left out, so I've got to do it. So now I'm going to spend money that I don't have because I want to be a part of the group. I want to be accepted. And so you get into those unhealthy behaviors as well. Yeah. I was thinking about that in the social media aspect because we have a laundry closet. (laughs) It's not glamorous. Um, But we were looking at opportunities to change it. So I went to social media for ideas and I saw all these beautiful laundry rooms and, you know, this and that. And I was looking at like my limitations, what I could do. And then someone gave me a cupboard and gave me some shelving. And I'm like, yes, okay, I can do this. But I was talking to Nate afterward and wondering if I was like lusting after other people's homes or, you know, is this a thing where I was saying, mine is not good enough, theirs is better, I need to make it better um, and trying to check that and make sure that, you know, with a trusted spiritual advisor, we can say, okay, is this healthy? Is this unhealthy? Is it just ideas? Because it was great for ideas, you know? But is it a sign of something more looking to, you know, some sort of external um, affirmation of, sure. honestly, the kids just need to be able to reach the soap. <laughs> so we got it and now we can all do laundry. But um, yeah, it's so interesting, the relationship with influences, influencers, the, the growth of, you know, forever opportunities to compare ourselves and then we were talking about how mental health is just a topic everyone's talking about because it, it's it's a problem. Sure. Mental health is a huge problem in our community. Um, how do we see various, you, you kind of touched on it, but like peer pressure on adults, um, even in the church, do you feel like there are examples where we're um, pushing other people to maybe more unholy um, attitudes or actions or um, are, are there any examples you've seen 
in your own experiences? It's a hard one. Um, I was thinking about how we try to keep up with others and then in the church, if new people come in, if they don't look like us or act like us, is that a a nominal peer pressure where they're like, I don't, I don't fit in here. You know, like even a subconscious pressure of uh, unified identity or, you know, are we celebrating the diversity of our community or, you know, what does it look like to be welcomed? I know that people are working really hard to include people here at the church, but um, it's just a, a thing. So, so maybe can kind of take it a slightly different direction from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there, there are situations in church where it's almost like we're we're coveting someone else's spiritual walk. Mm. You know, I think that's kind of what you're describing there. And and if we kind of zoom out of that a little bit, we know that you know sanctification is the process by, by which the Holy Spirit works to conform us to the image of Christ. Um, but Jerry Bridges says that our involvement and cooperation with him in that work is what he calls the pursuit of holiness. Mm. And so that, that's something that we're passionate about is this pursuit of holiness. So we know that the Spirit is working in us, um, and we're all on a journey, and our journeys don't all look the same. But we do need to be passionate about pursuing holiness and what that looks like for us. So we can become envious of someone else's pursuit of holiness, possibly, mm. where they're focused on this area, but they may have particular areas that the Spirit has convicted them on or pointed out to them. Um, but the other, the other direction of that, I think, is where we really get into problems. And that is that oftentimes Christians are hindered by other Christians because they're, they may be convicted of something and the consensus around them is that's not really a big deal. Mm. And, and that comes from something called injunctive norms. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just kind of a... Um, a social learning theory concept that injunctive norms are those things that you know society basically expects of us. Mm-hmm. And so, if we think of uh, the difference between like a descriptive norm is, let's say you're you're sitting in service and it's been a great worship song and everybody starts clapping, so you start clapping. Mm-hmm. You're doing that because there's a norm here. It's what you're observing other people doing. But in an an injunctive norm, it's based on this perceived expectation externally and if you don't conform there will be consequences mm. and so that can actually show up because if, if one person is convicted let's let's say it's on someone's been convicted that that they shouldn't watch a particular tv show mm. and so then they're having a conversation with someone else and that person says well what's the problem with that and they talk to someone else and they say well what's the problem with that mm-hmm. you add up a couple of those and now you've got a norm that says this sin issue the Holy Spirit has convicted you about is not actually a sin issue. Mm-hmm. When in reality, for you, maybe it was. Right. And so people will often be hindered in their pursuit of holiness because other people are kind of not wanting to do the same things or not feeling mm-hmm. convicted in some of the same ways. Good, well-meaning people. Sure. Yeah. And even if you take that, I think, a step further, like when you, if you are talking about that that sin that you're struggling with or someone else kind of perceives that as not being an issue, um, it's easy to kind of tone that down because you don't want to be perceived as being a, a judgmental person or, mm-hmm. or that. And so you you do tend to do that. You tend to isolate. Mm-hmm. And um that goes back to that that isolation that you feel. Also, I think that one of the negative ways we see peer pressures with adults with that is um, 
there's a tendency not to be as authentic and vulnerable with that Mm -hmm. because you're afraid of what others will think when you're whatever you're living out or you see you come into this you know all these people are doing it like this or they're doing it like this and I can never or I couldn't or I tried Mm -hmm. and then there's this sense of overwhelming you know just I can't and then you kind of give up or or that kind of thing so we kind of tend to look at in the same sense we look at the the whole picture and try to bite off the whole thing instead of saying what's the next step what's the next step in holiness we're not just going to snap our fingers and we're looking at one person's highlight reel Mm -hmm. in that moment of a Sunday morning. We didn't see the the car ride to church and the getting everybody out the door. And we're just, we're focusing on one piece. And then we try to apply that to our whole lives. And that's, it's overwhelming and makes us shut down. It is. And the converse of that, I've heard people overshare in Sunday school or life group, where is the place you should be safe? Like that should be the place you can share, but people shut them down and then they were not sharing anymore. You know, and that's that's hard too. If we can't be our authentic selves, then then no one really knows us. And we talked about this, uh, you know, two weeks ago on the episode. I'm tired of hearing about marriages when they're crumbled. You know, if people silently suffer, won't bring the church in to their relationship until it's it's too far gone. I it's so frustrating because we're there to love, we're there to support, like. When anyone shares, I'm like, I believe in your marriage. I'm fighting for you, fighting for your marriage, and hoping, you know, to join you in prayer and encourage you in that. Um, but again, you know, the culture says marriage is hard. Just get out. Yeah, and then the pressure you see when you're sitting in a life group and you think everybody else is doing fine. So you think, oh well, if I'm struggling, I'm alone, and I don't want to make myself vulnerable in sharing that. Meanwhile chances are that 90% of the people in there are going through the same struggles. Right. If we would just be honest with one another, we can be that iron sharpens iron that helped right. each other walk through it. Yeah. This is probably one of the more um, more significant issues uh, that I think we run into. It's one of the things that keeps people repressed and not mm-hmm. not opening up. And um, the, the term for that is pluralistic ignorance. Mm-hmm. And uh, think of a situation in which, um, let, let's say that you're sitting in a room and you hear this awful noise. And, and you kind of look around the room and no one's reacting to it. Okay. You know, no one's saying anything. Um, and so you're sitting here wondering, well, am I the only one that hears this? Um, well, that's one situation. But if you're sitting in the room and you hear the noise, you look around and you see somebody else kind of looking back at you, there's some confirmation there. And what often happens is if no one is saying anything, then we assume whatever I'm thinking is a problem must not actually be a problem Mm. or I can't bring this out. And so I heard a story one time of, of a pastor who was so bold. He, he stood in front of his, his congregation and began to just confess some of his own personal sins. Mm. And, uh, most anybody who's been in ministry knows that that that's a terrifying thing, you know, but, uh, in his, in this particular case, the congregation responded by kind of doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, because somebody was speaking up and saying, I'm not perfect. Here's the brokenness in my life. It gave other people the permission to start sharing about their own experiences because now the standard out there, that, that norm that I thought existed has been shattered. Mm. And so now I'm more free to be vulnerable. Mm. Can we as parishioners or church members reset the standard? I think we can, but we do 
the caution is needed, mm-hmm. you know, because the last thing in the world we want to do is is share in a way that glorifies sin mm-hmm. or condones it. There has to be accountability based in that. And so to be able to be part of a, a group in which you can share the things that you're struggling with and there be both compassion and accountability mm-hmm. that balance one another in that situation, that's how we can reset the standard. Yeah. My sinful nature says, I don't want to share. I don't want accountability. Sure. You know? Hmm. So what does God's word say about the influence or pressure of others? Um, I think one of the most striking examples of this um, is found in 1 Kings chapter 12. Um, you've got the story of King Rehoboam, who's, who's become king. And uh, he's, he's seeking advice for how should he rule over the people. And so he goes to what, what scripture refers to as the old men. And uh, they basically say, listen, lighten their burden and the people are going to love you and they're going to follow you. Mm-hmm. And so Rehoboam kind of takes that advice in, but then he goes to the young people that he had grown up with and says, how should I rule over these people? And they say, don't lighten it. In fact, make it even harsher than, than what your father did. And so Rehoboam listens to that influence of his peers rather than those who had some more wisdom. And the consequences were disastrous. That is ultimately what led to the divided kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so major ramifications, not only for himself, but for a nation uh, as a result of that. And so we see this image in, in scripture of what can happen uh, by bad influence. But there's also examples of good influence. Yeah. Yeah, I think we see in, in Romans 12, too, where it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed mm-hmm. by the renewing of our minds. That This idea of conforming mm-hmm. to the pressures around us is not a new concept. Mm-hmm. It's not surprising to God. It's who, who we're created to be. Mm-hmm. So it's that whole old self, new self. And so when we allow ourselves to be pressured by, by that, or the, the either negative or positive around us, apart from Christ and his word, um, we're doing the exact opposite of what we're called to do. So as long as we can, can put our hearts and, and renew our minds on Christ and on his word, um, then we begin to be conformed in the way that he wants us to be and conform to that instead of the arbitrary pressures around us. Right. Because the culture changes seasonally, but also um, the kind of non-Christian mindset is always the same, and it's always been there. You know, we think about the good old days. People talk about how great our cultures used to be, and I think back to Babylon. I'm like, I don't think so. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think it's a lot better. Um, so when should we compare ourselves to others? So... Course, I've got to make it more complicated than that. Um, I was thinking about this question, and there, there's this concept that we've learned recently from from neuroscience. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's these these cells in our bodies that are called mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. Neurons we normally think of as brain cells, but these particular types of neurons exist in our body, and they're heavily concentrated around the heart, actually. Okay. And these these cells, these mirror nar- neurons, actually exist to help us see ourselves in relation to other people. And so you think about that from a spiritual perspective. God has designed us to be intricately connected to other people and to see how am I connecting to those around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all have this deep desire for a sense of belongingness. We want to know where do I fit in? Where do, where's my place? Mm-hmm. And so because of that, those mirror neurons propel us to imitate something or someone. 
So when it comes to how should we compare ourselves to others, first and foremost, we should always be comparing ourselves to Christ. Mm -hmm. He is the only reliable standard that we can compare ourselves to. Um, but beyond that, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 uh, and 17, I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Mm -hmm. And so, so we see from Paul here, he first says, hey, look at me. Mm -hmm. Look at what I'm doing and imitate that. And oh, by the way, there's someone who's already done that. Timothy has already followed in my ways, has learned from me, and so I'm going to send him to you mm -hmm. so that you can watch him and it reminds you of me. And so in that sense, I, I tend to think of healthy comparison. Comparison's not necessarily the great word, but we'll go with it. Um, if I'm comparing upward mm. and saying, all right, who is further along on the path of holiness than I am? Who's, who's out there somewhere where I see aspects of their life that I want to imitate that are worthy of imitation? Well, then I can compare myself to that and how do I start becoming like those things, mm -hmm. following in their steps? And so in that, we do what Paul's telling us to do, that we become imitators of him. Yeah. Yeah, he said, you know, in another, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mm -hmm. So that's just that we're, we're looking at those who were imitating the word, those who were imitating Christ. And then, the, yeah, that that's something that I want. Those who are spending time in the word, those who are living it out, living out the fruit of the spirit. So you see in Titus 2, um, where the women are called to, to mentor the younger women, that's exactly this yeah. imitation. Let me live out life before you so that you can see what it means to live a life that's honoring, um, worthy of the gospel. Yeah. I think it's interesting, we've kind of created this dichotomy, peer pressure versus the pursuit of holiness and imitation Christ, imitating Christ means kind of like letting peer pressure go and knowing where your mark is. You know, they say plan for what you want. Looking and keeping your eye on Christ means that some of these pressures are gonna say, that doesn't fit it, that doesn't fit my goal at any age, you know? Sure, and, and you know, we're, I struggle with the modern notion of self-esteem a little bit. Mm. The, this idea that the term itself seems to indicate that somehow my belief about myself, or my thought of myself originates within me, and that's absolutely not true. Um, I like the term borrowed esteem mm. a bit more because I believe we borrow our opinion of ourselves from what we perceive other people to think about us. And so again, as we think about other human beings who are also fallen, there, there is no reliable standard there. Mm. Only Christ overcomes that. Even with Christ, though, we still have this struggle of, can I accurately perceive what he thinks of me? And so I have to be a diligent student of his word. I have to be open to considering what does Christ say about me? Mm. How does that align with things that other people in the world are saying about me? And if it doesn't align, then it must be rejected. Right. And so that's part of this pursuit of holiness is everybody down here is telling me I don't need to do anymore. Right. They're saying, oh, you're, you're a Christian, you're doing enough, you're good, you're mm -hmm. fine. And Christ is up here saying, come on, right. I've got so much more for you to ascend to and for you to experience. Don't, don't spend your life down here in the weeds mm -hmm. doing just enough, but come up to where I am. Right. And that takes us back to that identity and how we see our identity in Christ and run after that. Um, they say, you know, children who do well in school have a couple common denominators. It's usually having parents to read to them and sitting around a kitchen table. 
And more and more, I think that's because they feel like part of a whole. You know, they're not lost. They're not flapping around in the culture, in the peer group. Um, they know who they are. And even more than that, like, you know, secular homes can give that. I want my kids each day to go out and say, I'm a chosen child of Christ, and that's who I am. And if we can, you know, remember that for ourselves, of course, now, you know, I'm giving it to them and then forgetting about it for myself. But if we can focus on that and make that be the goal of then how we treat others based on that, then how we serve, and then how we, you know, go each day, I think that that helps with the the peer pressure, self-esteem, and... Sure. Yeah. So how has God used influence or the pursuit of holiness to work in your lives? I think that we all have people that we can look back even in our Christian walks and say, this person was a huge influence to me in, in who I am as a believer um, because of their walk. It was something that we we sought out to imitate. Um, I know that for me, my dad was a huge um influence for me mm-hmm. growing up and, and looking at that and his, his walk of faith and the things that he would choose. And so um, a different professors we've had or, or friendships over the life. Um, hopefully we've had some life group leaders in that and um, people around this church have grown up here. So mm-hmm. there's so many people that have been like a, a major source of, of influence for me over the years. Um, and those are those are precious relationships that you look at that and say, these are people that are, that are living out the gospel. Um, and that at different points in my life where I've been challenged and encouraged to kind of to live it out because of their obedience. And I hope that I am also living that out as well. Yeah. So last question, should we avoid peer pressure? Why or why not? Well, I hope by now it's, it's kind of obvious that no, not necessarily, but we do need to be very careful to test the reliability of the influencer. Yeah. Am I accepting peer pressure from someone who is safe, reliable, trustworthy? And, and that starts with their, their spiritual foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, is this person someone who's walking with God? Are they someone who's deeply committed to Christ? Are they someone who's being led by the Holy Spirit? If they don't check those boxes, well, we, we don't need to listen to their influence. Right. That's not valuable. The other thing to keep in mind there is that some people are more susceptible to peer pressure and influence than other people are. And some of that's based on personality factors and things like that. Uh, for example, um, some people have a personality type where when they're presented with new information, they immediately accept it and, and take it in, maybe later regret it. Other people, kind of like both of us, uh, are more folks who, when we're presented with new information, we immediately reject it nope. and shut it down. And so the people who tend to receive things are going to be much more vulnerable Mm. to peer pressure. And so part of it is knowing yourself, Mm -hmm. knowing where your vulnerabilities are, knowing how God has made you. There's nothing wrong with either one of those personality types, but each one has its inherent vulnerabilities. And so if you know that you tend to be more susceptible to the input of others, then you need to make sure that you surround yourself with not just one, but with a team of trusted advisors so that when, when someone is saying something to you, you can kind of have other voices to balance that out. Mm-hmm. I had an advisor one time tell me to lower my standards in, in my husband. <laughs> and I'm glad you ignored that. Right. I, I, but I questioned it. I, th- I said, what should I do here? And really? And maybe? And then I said, no, because yeah, the Bible said, wait. And I did. So 
Well, thank you both so much for your thoughtfulness and expertise and giving us a safe place. I do hope that um, our church family is encouraged by these things that we're talking about. And if you're listening, we do want to know, what have you learned from Ron and Nicole today? How has God challenged you and how will you apply what you've learned? To our listeners, thank you for spending your time with us. If you haven't yet connected with us online, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And be sure to check out our other McGregor podcast channels. Just head over to talktruthpodcast.com for all the details. We'd love to hear from you. Write us a review however you're listening to this. Thanks for listening and remember to talk truth.